Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in Boston, Massachusetts, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. Welcome to another exciting and informative installment of Learning Insights. I'm Holly Payton, joined by Stone Payton, and we have two wonderful guests with us today. Um, Associate Director for Learning Content and Design and Development, Melissa Milani, and Vice President and General Manager of Par Excel Academy, Albert Sue. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, let's get started with a question about the Par Excel Academy. I understand that that is your corporate university. So talk to us a little bit about the work that you do there. Yeah, this, uh, the Par Excel Academy actually started in Berlin, Germany. Um, originally, uh, because uh, as Par Excel International, we are in clinical research management. And uh, during the unification of uh, East-West Germany, uh, in Germany, there were a lot of very well-trained academics uh, that are looking for jobs from East Germany, as you can imagine, from a communist uh, regime going to the more market-facing economy. There's a different set of challenges. And uh, at the time, Parkside was going through a growth phase. And we saw that there is an opportunity to really tap on some very well-trained uh, uh, talent, but they are lacking the industry-specific knowledge. So Parkside International uh, created something called the Parkside Academy and trained uh, a whole lot of the East Germans, academics, and some other people that are looking for uh, jobs. And as a result, we, we uh, put them through some very rigorous training and to train them to be clinical research monitors. And they turned out to be great, so great to the extent that the German government was very interested in this and they start funding us to do that. So the origination of the Par Excel Academy really came from a very situational specific situation whereby there's a need for the business, right, to look for new talent. And there's a, there is a, um, a societal dynamics that were going on that we can help to create a job and uh, employment opportunity for the German government. So that's how the origination of the Par Excel Academy came. Now, what it became, the corporate university was one that, you know, as Par Excel uh, grows, uh, you know, uh, as the business uh, uh, grows uh, very rapidly, and we are very global. We operate in more than 50 countries around the world, and we uh, have uh, people operating in 70-some locations and different parts of the world. We needed to have the um, uh, spread of the talent um, at the different places. So we brought this idea of the Par Excel Academy and make it into a brand. We are part of the learning and development uh, uh, services that we offer. So the services we offer is learning and development. Um, and, but the, but the uh, brand name we call that is the Par Excel Academy. So within the academy, we have a different institute. We have an institute that focuses on academic partnership. That's the root of what we have done in the past uh, in tra uh, training uh, college graduates to help them to be um, uh, clinical research uh, uh, people. And then we have a leadership development institute, which is very uh, typical to all the people that do leadership development, uh, professional development, and management development. And then we have one that uh, is in the functional area because we're in clinical research, there's a lot of technical knowledge 
that needed to be learned. So that all goes into the functional institute. And then we have one more institute that is called thought leadership. Because we are not only in clinical research, we're in consulting, in regulatory consulting. So uh, the consulting side, we have many uh, in-depth uh, experts in uh, fields of interest, including therapeutic areas. So that's how the Par Excel Academy uh, is, is formed. It is what it is today. And that uh, Melissa uh, here, she has what I call a support infrastructure. She provides all the internal training and development design that she has that in her organization. Uh, we have uh, an OD function that provide uh, 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 organization de development services around the country, uh, around our company to help uh, from strategy, change management, uh, org design, uh, team building, leadership, uh, 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 effectiveness, all those things that we get involved. And then, of course, we have the learning infrastructure, the learning management. So that is a part of that, including people around the world to execute and deliver programs. He's answered this question before, hasn't he? I think maybe, and I'm wondering <laughs> if he sleeps because there's no time. What in the world? Well, I, I got to ask, uh, and I told you I would have several questions. What are these folks researching once they emerge from your academy? What, what are they researching? Well, you know, in uh, clinical trials, um, usually there is a protocol defined, right? You usually try to test something specifically based on what the client's looking for. It could be a compound, the efficacy of a compound, the safety of a compound, or a particular drug. Uh, that uh, uh, We got involved in um, clinical trials only with humans, so we don't get into the animal, the, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, the, the preclinical stage of the, the studies. So really uh, primarily, you know, testing the efficacies of drug safety, um, and then we help the um, uh, uh, clients, uh, mostly pharmaceutical and biotech company or equipment company, also in commercializing it, marketing it. Uh, you may not know there are, there are many drugs that pass clinical tests but fail to win reimbursement. And so therefore it doesn't become, uh, they, they could not be uh, economically viable to launch them, and that's a loss to the company, and that's also a loss to some of the patients yeah. that need those care. So, and that's the sort of things we get involved from testing to um, advising clients how to market, how to go through the commercialization process. Wow, um, you you mentioned so many different areas that the Paracel Academy is involved in. Um, I'm wondering, and I'm not sure whether you, Melissa, or, or you, Albert, can speak to this, but I'm, I'm very interested to know, how do you take the requirements of the business in these different areas, leadership and, and new hire development and the functional areas, technical knowledge, thought leadership, marketing, et cetera, and translate that into a learning program? Maybe I'll start first uh, by saying that, you know, what you're saying is that how do you how do you take business requirements, right, and generate it and, and take it in so that we can eventually convert it into learning deliverables or learning opportunities, right? At the heart of the matter to me, to us, I think is governance. You know, really, the, when, uh, when we first are doing anything, we always start with this whole concept about governance. Now, what do I mean by governance? It's really oversight into determining what's uh, what are the priorities of learning that has to happen within uh, uh, within a company? And this is 
are actually pretty universally a challenge. I would say there are two types of governance we, we think through. One is what I call enterprise-wide enterprise you know, governance. The other are operational governance. So let me uh, describe each of them. Enterprise-wide governance is really about focusing on setting the training priorities, about uh, making sure the right uh, um, resources are allocated in the right way, and occasionally may have to get involved in charter conflicts that we have to resolve, you know, who should be doing what. You know, in big companies, this is more common than otherwise known. And the things I'm speaking about, usually I'm speaking from a point of view of managing an enterprise-wide training and learning and development organization. I'm not so much speaking about managing at a division level. There's a little different spin to that. So that's what the enterprise-wide governance is all about. Now, at the operational level, many uh, of my colleagues sitting and listening on this radio show, they would probably know that many training uh, organizations, including the Power Excel Academy, while we have to charter to support the enterprise, why issues, right? There are still a lot of pockets of organization that have their own training regime. Mm -hmm. So to me, at the operational level, we must also have, uh, have a governance process of how to bring the right people so that we can federate right the the priorities the approach and so at the operating level we focus on common process common um, standards common approaches common practices so very important up front are these two things in terms of governance that we look after and that's what makes it easier to translate the business requirement you know we all know at the end of the day our viability and our success, measure of success, is really how well we cater to the business to the point that we address their needs that we can help exactly. through training. Exactly. Right. It's interesting that he mentioned common processes and approach and structure and so on, um, which I'm sure from a learning and development, design and development perspective, those are things that are terribly important to you. Can you speak to that a little bit about how you're, you're using all of the structures and approach and platforms and so on? Yeah, I think that that is um, absolutely critical from a perspective of somebody who's running a, a group with a finite amount of resources and infinite, infinite amount of requests that we're getting in uh, to the organization. Um, so at a baseline, I think it's just really critical for us to make sure that from a design perspective, you know, the instructional design team that comes along um, has, has come along after everybody else has decided, here's what's important. And, and Albert's put some really nice structure in place through the governance process, um, connecting with our, our business units through you know, specific roles designed uh, within Parkcell Academy that are connecting directly. And so by the time it gets to us, our job is to make sure that we understand it uh, and that we prioritize it appropriately. Because again, we only have a certain amount of resources that we can deploy. Against, uh, against those priorities. And so we have a prioritization process um, that I manage along with uh, the uh, vice president of um, the Functional Development Institute that also is a part of Albert's organization. And we meet regularly. I have a, a, a senior manager that reviews all requests regularly. And we're going through and making sure and asking the questions, okay, so you say you need this training. Help me understand how it ties in to the priorities of the organization overall. It's not just a random request. We know how it's 
how it's connecting in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that process uh, helps us stay on track. Uh, sometimes we have to have difficult conversations to sort of say, well, I know you think that this is important, but we can't do this. Uh, on the other side, we can't. We also can't say no, so we have to put some things in place to help <laughs> right. um, for those situations where, okay, well, it doesn't quite align to the top priorities of the business, but, you know, okay, what can we do? Right. So are there vendors that we can work with? Are there uh, sort of rapid design solutions that we've put in place that right. we could provide support for? Um, and uh, ultimately, everybody gets what they need, not always what they want. Can you speak? Um, let's let's just get a little nerdy in in the instructional <laughs> design area. Oh, I hate of, that. It's one of it's one of my passions. So so let's just talk for a second, if it's okay with you, about instructional design sure. and and where you think it is today, how it's changed um, uh, over time, and and some of the the challenges that your instructional designers are having to face, given limited resources, infinite number of requests, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I I think, um, you know, probably the biggest challenge that we have to face is something that I think most L&D professionals can relate to. And it's that idea that when somebody does come to the table with a request, they've already designed the program in their head. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like everybody's an expert on right. this. Um, I went to school. I yeah. can't design <laughs> anything. Yeah. yeah. You know, and people have, you know, they have genuine intentions, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is what we're paid to do so how can I help you let me do my job <laughs> right. um, and so ultimately uh, one of the things that we've put in place to help have those conversations is a framework we call the three A's um, and it's really about getting a, a getting clarity with the business about what they expect as an outcome from that particular learning intervention and the three A's are awareness ability and application and I know from a theoretical perspective, we could probably argue the validity of that model. But for Par Excel, it works well because of how we apply it. Um, so I'll give you, a, give you a, uh, an example. If somebody comes to us and says, you know, we have a whole list of things that we need in a training, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way down to Z. And we have two hours that we'd like you to cover that. <laughs> right, exactly. And it's due, and, and, and the meeting's happening in two weeks. Right. So what can you put together? Um, you know, at the end of the day, we have to get clear on that list of expectations about whether or not we're expecting people to just be aware of something. If I just tell them something, is that going to be enough? Are they capable adults? Are they supported enough where they can take that information and do something with it? And sometimes it is, right? Exactly. It, sometimes doing the rest is overkill. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, and we find that a lot in some of our compliance trainings, the things that adults know they're supposed to do, but they just need to be reminded every once in a while. Um, ability level training are, are things where if we teach them the skill, do they have what it takes then to take that skill and apply it to their job? Um, and a good, pr- a good example of that would be like presentation skills. So if I teach you presentation skills, will you know how to take that and turn it into a good sales pitch, um, sure. for example? Um, the highest or the Cadillac version is application. And this is where you're giving us uh, employees that don't know maybe anything about the skills, the, the knowledge, much less how to apply it to the role. And a good example of that are new hire training. Um, and when Albert was describing some of the core of our business around the clinical research process, uh, these folks are very critical to our business. And so when we onboard them, uh, my team has designed a, a very rigorous program uh, that is application level that not only gives them the information and the ability, but it allows us, we also uh, embed simulations and things that people have to do to really 
determine before you leave, before you walk out this door, can you do some of the most critical parts of this job? And, and we need to say yes to that before we let them, let them go to a hospital, for example, and conduct our research. Right. The yes is a verified yes. In other words, there are instrumentations, there are process in the training that they will be verified, whether they really know how to do something, not just what they know, but how do they do it. And there are a line manager there verifying that. So we eliminated the, the, the typical situation sometimes happen is that when the something went wrong with, in the practice itself, then people will say, well, training doesn't work. Well, mm. we don't want any of that because right. the time when they leave, all the line managers certified, they have, they know how to do certain things, their simulation, their scores, they know how to. So if something else, if someone really didn't do something right, there must be something else that is not right. right. So we eliminate some of the, the blame back to training so that we can focus on really what else is not working right. Mm -hmm. So that's. Well, and in your industry, as you mentioned, regulatory compliance very is critical. Very critical. Yeah, yeah, they don't play. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. It's like thinking about it. Would you like to sit on a plane that the pilot's just trying it out? <laughs> right. <laughs> he has the knowledge. Right. <laughs> well, actually, if you don't mind, I'd like to dive into this topic of simulation for a moment. And the reason is I had a very positive experience going through sales training. I went through some traditional sales training, and that was fine. But then I had a chance to do what I think is properly characterized as simulation. And I had an opportunity to practice the skills in, 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 a, in a realistic way, but yet it was a safe environment. Yeah. So I, I, can one or both of you speak to that a little bit? Because it certainly was a positive experience for me. Well, I, this is an area that we try to we're trying to do more and more of, especially as we push for more and more application level training. And what when I described the the clinical research associate uh, piece, what we did is sort of a, a play on on gamification, if you will, where we had. Um, uh, we've uh, we've created uh, an environment online, a virtual environment. Yeah, yeah. a virtual oh. environment, and um, it even it even shows you driving up to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you get out of the car and you walk into the hospital and you check in with the receptionist and and there you are and you have at that point two choices: do you need to talk to the investigator, which is the the head doctor that's in charge of the study, or mm -hmm. are there things that you need to do to qualify the site, for example? And uh, if you say, okay, well, I want to qualify the site, so then it just puts a map in front of you and it says, okay, figure it out. Where are you going to go? And the system is actually capturing where you went and where you didn't go, what you looked at, what you didn't look at. And then um, I'm, I'm taking that information uh, because, for example, I'll go into the pharmacy. And first of all, if the pharmacy door is unlocked, that's a problem. <laughs> right? you, don't, you don't want that. We don't want to put our, our, you know, our products in a place where they're not secure. All right, so when I go into the pharmacy, then I'm checking to see, does it have a, a cooler? Or, or actually, you know, what's the temperature of the room? Because we, our products mm -hmm. need to have a, a certain temperature. So it's capturing, did I check that or not? And when I check it, then I'm writing all of these details down that I'm finding, and then I'm going going into a, another um, sort of play version of uh, systems that our CRAs need to use, and I'm entering that information, and it's generating a report, and then my manager will, in, in this case a coach, that's um, a real manager that, come in, that comes in and volunteers to be a part of these sessions, will review that report and then basically tell you what you got right and what you got wrong. Um, and it feels real. 
um, and yeah. ultimately yeah, for, the results are real. For yeah. example, if you go to the storage area and that usually they have a cooler, but if you find six packs in there and <laughs> someone's house <laughs> lunch in there, right. you know, the, I would expect the clinical research monitor will know that, right? That is mm-hmm. deviation sure. from uh, protocol because you don't want six pack mixed with other <laughs> stuff in there. <laughs> so these are control areas. So, yes. you know, it says fun, something like that. Yes. that. That's actually people have fun, you know, doing that. It's just, we have a sense of humor too. You know, we're not so kind of grounded. <laughs> that's so I, right? Yeah. That, yeah. That's important. And, and yeah. I think you're talking about people from the lines of business that are coming in and volunteering time, energy and effort to come in and, uh, and, and monitor, you said they, they volunteer? That's, a, that's fantastic. That's really important. And I, I think, you know, Albert was key in helping, get, helping us get that level of support um, before we even started putting this design that's together. That's the outcome of governance. Right. right. That's the outcome of governance. I get that kind of support when you have the enterprise why, you know, support, um, you know, it's the right stakeholders to be working with me and to determine these things. And that's why... Uh, we emphasize governance right up front. So. Gamification is a very <laughs> high-end instructional strategy. Um, and many companies would not be that far along. So I would love it if you could share with our listeners what were some of the outcomes you were looking for what were some of the benefits that you identified that allowed you to go down that path versus providing you know, instruction via some other um, modality? Well, I think uh, what I would probably turn back to is that we, we, our leadership created a space for us to do that. Um, and again, through the governance process, um, Albert was able to start uh, having the conversations that were important uh, with key leaders about what was not working uh, with the training. And they started, I, I, Albert, correct me if I'm wrong, they was, I started hearing from, from him and from, from the leadership of, of this team uh, the idea of a simulation or, of, or a flight simulation. They I think actually that they thought about that airplane analogy. Yeah. yeah. So they brought that up. Yeah. And so with that in mind, we thought, you know, and I have a very creative team, and that's the other, the other thing I have to say is that I, I can't do this on my own. I've got uh, a team of people here in, in Billerica, uh, as well as in uh, our, our Buenos Aires office in Argentina, and they're fabulous and creative. Uh, and so when I started talking about this idea of flight simulator and what could we do, Oh, the wheels started turning, Absolutely. and they they were off to the races. Um, and I started seeing sketches of the things that we could do, um, and we started talking about what we could do as opposed to what we couldn't, because we know that there's a lot of cool whiz-bang stuff out there. Um, and we could have spent some time talking about getting some of those tools, uh, but at the end of the day, we knew we could do enough with what we had. Um, to get the concept out there. Just to give you a sense, um, we had actually went out to bid um, on that gamification process, mm-hmm. right, uh, that Melissa just described, and it was about 120000 okay? Uh, we did it for a tenth of that cost internally, excluding, of course, you know, we have some staff to do that. Sure. But they did it faster and, uh, and, and, and equally well. So, you know, I think, um, you know, Holly, your point is well taken, but there really there's a, a range of costs 
uh, and a range of sophistication. When when you think about the ultimate of gamification, will be you know you got an Xbox. You know those <laughs> are the one. Yeah. Those are you know you talk about millions of dollars to produce, right? But there are there are low cost alternative that can be just as effective and also have a sense of humor and fun in in that. Um, so you know I I think that's why another thing about managing the learning function is really understand cost. Yes. You know, at the end mm -hmm. of the day, you know, we always say that, uh, you know, uh, learning is a business, training is a business, a big business. In mm -hmm. fact, it's the second largest business other than healthcare in, in the United States. You know, if you sum up all the costs that p put into education and learning and all that, you know, I think I, I sometimes find a lot of my colleagues um, in different companies really don't understand the dynamic of costs. How much does it cost for you to do all the things that you do? And that's why um, I think we have a challenge um, sometimes that uh, I, I, we pay a lot of attention. How much is it costing us, right? What is the percentage of training costs as a total, as a percentage of the total labor costs, mm -hmm. right? We have benchmark ranges we look at so that we know we are keeping ourselves true. And the CFO can relate to that. And then they have, we start building trust. Yes. Yeah. Your company obviously is so far along on this continuum because I know that you recognize that so many companies, when you say, what is your training spend? They absolutely have no concept because they've got pockets. They've yes. got pockets here that mm -hmm. they, oh, I didn't think about that team. That team has a training team. And oh, I yeah, that, oh, we have something in, in you know, Singapore and didn't really count them. And, you know, so, so what? Uh, a holistic governance model enterprise-wide, a holistic sense of what your spend is, is so integral to the success that you're having. I, I'm terribly impressed. Well, you know, maybe we can offer one, I will offer one idea for the listeners that they may actually try to take a look at this framework to see if they help them. It helps me tremendously. Is that we use, uh, we. I look at two dimensions and create a two by two. So let mm -hmm. me first say, on the first dimension, draw a horizontal line, right? On one, on the left-hand side, put down tactical. On the other side is strategic, right? Something about training. We always deal with tactical things and strategic things, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one dimension. Now I want someone to go from top to bottom, to do, do a horizontal, uh, do a vertical line. On top is organization. On the bottom is individuals. Now you got a two by two. Now on the top right, that is what I call functional quadrant. That's where all the functional skills of a company, I don't care if you're EMC, you're Hewlett Packard, uh, you are a hospital, every organization have functional skills. That means they're by role, there's a certain things they have to learn how to do, right? And that's the intersect between organization and the tactical side, mm -hmm. right? On the, on the right side of the top is the uh, organization and the strategic. Then what's in that quadrant? Usually the mission, the vision, you know, the core values of the organization, their strategy, their approach to market, that's another quadrant, right? Now on the bottom left, you got tactical and individual. What's in that quadrant? The easiest to explain that is tuition assistance. Those are the things that the training that pertains to benefiting the individual. Now on the right-hand side of the bottom quadrant is bet uh, between strategy and individual. Those are typically the management practices. 
Now, no company uh, typically will keep on investing in training. The trick a lot of times people miss is that really what I'm managing is the redistribution of dollars that the organization is already investing. Think about the two by two. Which quadrant has the highest cost usually associated with it? It's very easy to know. It's always the top, the top left, the functional area, usually command training hours and total cost. About 50 to 80% of the total spend. I have done this research with 30, 40 companies uh, for those that they can get at it. And on a, what, for about 20 years, I've been tracking that. So my 50 to 80 is the, is the range of the averages, right? Mm -hmm. There are some even more and some let you drop them out. On the, on the strategic side, right, the, the mission, the vision, you will think that company need to invest a lot in that. No, most of the company invest sometimes from less than 1% to no more than 5%. 5%, mm -hmm. you are really out there. The GE, the Croton field, will be about 5%, you know, of their, in fact, I know GE, um, you know, at least when Steve Kerr was running it, you know, he said, I never tracked it. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have to, you know, he doesn't have to. So the management practice, okay, is the, you know, the right bottom, right? Mm -hmm. That is about anywhere from 5 to 20%. When I was at HP, HP is a very philosophically driven company, very much like Parixel very involved in you know, making sure that people know what they are doing, manager you know, uh, practice is important, anywhere from five to 20%. And then on the individual side, you know, which is the tuition assistant, usually you talk about two to 10%, right? Depending on how generous you're that. You think about that, I always take my governance body back to it. Okay, we are spending here, we need to stop. That's why we always think about are we getting the right training to the right people at the right time in the right way? That's right. our mantra. That's mm -hmm. our mantra. Because if you are, you can reduce the cost in some of the training. Then you redirect those gains into other areas. That's how we manage the portfolio of investment. Right. And that's why, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't know the cost, you cannot talk like that. And But, you know, hopefully maybe our listener can draw your own diagram and find out where your costs are and rethinking about, instead of trying to get more money, maybe you're thinking about redirecting some of the, uh, uh, the, the asset into funding some other things. And having those benchmarks that you have, that you're constantly yes. looking at it is, is absolutely fabulous. Yeah, and that's how we manage our, our portfolio of investment in training. So Albert and Melissa both have everybody in the studio taking copious notes. I'm over here drawing graphs. <laughs> Melissa's over here with the three A's. I've never taken, I haven't taken this many notes since high school. <laughs> uh, I want to back up a little bit. I'm going to ask this to both of you, but I'm going to start with Melissa. Your backstory. What, tell me about your career, how it got started, and maybe just a little bit about the path to, to where you've landed now. Oh, well, um, a, a lot of luck and <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of skill. Um, I actually started my, my professional career in academia, and I was uh, a teacher uh, at a couple of different universities in uh, the Midwest. Uh, my last gig was with University of Nebraska at Omaha, uh, where I taught public speaking and small group communication and leadership. Well, you're so. very articulate. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, so that's good. That's it. it paid off. Uh, and then I made the jump um, about uh, 15 years ago, where uh, I started working for Daytex Omida. I believe they're now called Daytex. 
uh, and uh, worked with their sales training group and started to learn a little bit about what it means to be a part of a corporate training organization and uh, then moved along from there. I've been with Parkcel for 11 years now, which has gone by very quickly. Uh, and uh, I started uh, delivering a lot of the management and professional development courses that we've offered at Parkcel for years. And, uh, and then when Albert came along, uh, I started to sit and listen to him and talk to him about his strategy and somehow convinced him to let me uh, take on uh, well, a little bit more. I was not much convincing. <laughs> I wanted it. Yeah, I wanted her. So you found Albert on Craigslist. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, maybe it happened differently. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell the story. <laughs> So yeah, so so your career? Yeah, actually, uh, I, I would also say my venture into learning and development is more or less an, an accident. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, by training, I'm a psychotherapist. Really, really I was wow. uh, my internship was done in mental institution that people kill people and uh, very psychotic cases. That's, that's where I thought that I would be uh, going uh, to be my profession. Uh, when I was uh, getting ready to graduate, you know, uh, when you go through a PhD program, luckily I had an internship, I have an uh, assistantship. And so uh, my last year, I wanted to rotate to uh, the placement office. Nobody wants the placement office because <laughs> everyone wants to go to the counseling office, mm -hmm. not the placement office. But I wanted to go to the placement office. I want to find out what are the jobs out there. And I found something very unfair. As an undergrad, and I was, I was at Purdue University. Purdue is very known for the sciences, right? Mm -hmm. So you got GM, you got Hewlett Packard, you got ExxonMobil, they are coming in to recruit. They're recruiting engineers, undergraduate, okay? And at the time, now, that was many years ago, there was about, uh, their starting salary was 20, uh, uh, 25,000 US. You know, today, you know, that was a long time ago, okay? <laughs> um, when I was looking at the teaching job or the, or the hospital job or the VA job, they were paying like 17000 to about 20000 Not only that kind of makes me kind of open my eyes. Then I look at, well, how many people apply? Well, there was one job I was looking at. They already told me there's 200 people applying. I said, well, how much does it pay? He said, it's about 17000 I thought to myself, this is weird. <laughs> I'm not going to go after that. I'm going to look somewhere else. So I started connecting with the recruiters from companies, and I connected with HP. And they said, well, what do you, do? What, what do you study? I said, well, I'm in psychology. Well, what is your uh, dissertation? I said, well, I'm training police officers how to manage their anger. Very appropriate today, right? right. <laughs> Maybe they would shoot less <laughs> and talk more, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, that led me to the HP saying, well, why don't you come and run the EAP for me, for us? Ah, right. Well, yeah. guess what? I never ran the AAP, EAP for HP because I told the head of HR, I don't know anything about business. He said, then you shouldn't come to the corporate. I'll get you a job <laughs> somewhere else. He said, well, I said, where? He thought, Boise, Idaho. <laughs> Boise, Idaho. No, instead of Palo Alto, <laughs> California. <laughs> so I went to, well, I said, well, why, why Boise? He said, well, that's, the, that's a division. We make the money, the P&L. You know what P&L? I kind of know what P&L. He said, money is made at the division. Corporate don't make money. Right. Mm -hmm. Corporate just spend money. <laughs> so you want to learn what business is? Go to a division. So I started at HP at a division, but because I have a PhD, People never really let me to be a generalist for a long time. So they always push me into training. Why don't you do something about training? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? So I guess I, you know, I just kind of drop into this area. I love it. Yes. I just love it. 
So. And that's obvious. Yeah. That's really obvious. Yeah, it comes um, shining through. I know that we need to wrap up soon, but I, I couldn't let you go. I know, uh, just given the conversation we've had, I know that measurement is probably something that you are very much paying attention to. Um, so can you both, either one of you, start and speak to us a little bit about how do you decide and determine what the effectiveness of your training programs are? Should I go? Well, do you want me to start and you yeah, can wrap it up? Yeah, why don't you start? I think this, uh, that's always the one of the key questions that we're driving. Um, and certainly we do like a lot of organizations where we have our, um, our level one, our smile sheets, uh, which I think are really uh, ultimately very important to get a good sense of whether or not um, the, the people that we're targeting in the training are finding it useful. Um, because we have a lot of smart people that work for us. and. Um, we need to validate their opinions. So it's a, it's a good marker for us. We make sure that we, we, we look at that. But more and more, we're working to really uh, clarify the impact overall. And um, I think with that, it's not so much that we're not willing to find out what that is, but it's we have to find the right questions to uncover that. Uh, and again, you know, that goes back to the idea of are we aligned uh, with the business? And so one of the things that we're working on, I, my team is working on this year, is within the designs are th themselves that we're putting together, um, what are we, how do we know what we're, what we're driving toward? So we're asking questions of our subject matter experts like, so what are you going to be watching that's going to tell you whether or not the learning that we're putting together here is having an impact? Is it turnover rates? Is it number of help desk tickets are going to go down? You know, what, what is it that we're going to be seeing? Uh, and while reasonably there may be some arguments of other things that are having an impact on that, I think generally that's something we can also watch. So that, that's key, and I think, again, that comes back to this idea, which is the reoccurring theme, I think, of this discussion today, which is around governance and just making sure that we know we're listening to our governance board, we're listening to those that are connecting with the business units, what is most important. That's Me such a fabulous yeah. suggestion for the people who might not know where to start to think about how am I going to measure the effectiveness of this. So your suggestion of making sure that you're having conversations, not with the learners, but with the heads of those business lines. Absolutely. What are you looking to measure yeah. is the place to start. Absolutely. You know, I, I would just say that let us end with a very controversial comment from, from us. Um, I do not believe that learning should get involved in measuring business results because line manager the uh, business unit themselves have enough business result they want to measure. What learning must uh, measure is training impact. Impact, they mm -hmm. are not the same as a result. Business result, you know, like quality results, they have their metrics. In fact, when learning people get involved, we muck it up. We really <laughs> confuse people. What, when I say about uh, training impact, I'm talking about are the line manager effective, right? Every company will, 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 will probably uh, agree if you don't have strong line management, business begin to go uh, have problems, right? Uh, are the, uh, is that a quality culture, you know? Is that, um, uh, are there quality in leadership? In other words, um, uh, how clear our strategy? Do we walk the talk? You know, we talk about mission, vision, values, right? A lot of people have values, 
But the employee said, well, I don't see that. You know, in fact, counter, contrary to that. So we look at things like that, uh, level of uh, employee engagement. Um, uh, do people take pride in coming to uh, work for Power Excel? Um, uh, do, we, um, um, uh, do, do they want to stay, right? Will they recommend the company? These things, what I call is impact. So if we do the right thing in leadership development, we should be able to pick up signals from different type of measures, including uh, the employee opinion survey. I'm a big believer in extracting indices from that kind of data because they have benchmark references. We know how strong we, we can then tell whether or not we are making a difference. To me, at the end of the world, if we can can get our costs under control when we know what it is, when we stay true to listening to the user of our program. That's why the smile sheet, we don't apologize for that. We want that, right? But we focus on the smile sheet to what I call um, uh, medication of immediate issues, right? Then you go to the farthest level of the training impact. If you can manage this, I think we ultimately are making a contribution to the organization. So. Absolutely. No, I got nothing to add to that. I'm wrapping <laughs> with that. I'm not going to try to follow that. What a marvelous conversation. Thank you both so much for joining us this afternoon. We got to we got to do this again because I get the sense that there's a little substance here. We could probably dive into any of a dozen <laughs> topics. Let's do this again sometime, yeah? No, absolutely. Love we'll to. be more than delighted. Thank you for having us here. Yes, yes. thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, until then, this is Stone Payton for Holly Payton, Albert and Melissa, our buddy Dan Collier with Training Pros who put this whole thing together, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Learning Insights. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com.